0: Hello, I'm Joshua Groysberg, a history enthusiast.
1: And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News.
0: And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics.
1: This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's
0: going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way.
1: So, it's been one year since January 6th, Around 725 people have been charged by the Justice Department for ransacking the Capitol and obstructing Congress's certification of the Electoral College. The Justice Department has also said that there are 350 more people of interest that haven't been indicted, but they're working through that now. The Capitol Hill Police are still recovering with hundreds of personnel uh, in shortfall. There's still hundreds of officers that need to be filled. Um, The January 6th Committee is currently making its way through the upper echelons of the coup plot. While there are subpoenas, which are the legally coercive demands for information and interviews, and there's voluntary information requests, very basically is looking like the insurrection on the ground on January 6th, what happened at the Capitol, was really just a last-ditch effort by Trump himself and his followers to stop Biden from becoming president. Because we're seeing now a patchwork of memos, PowerPoints, text messages, and so-called war rooms that involve everyone from Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to Steve Bannon to Rudy to Fox hosts. To members of Congress, I've tried to stop the electoral college count, to subvert the formal process, and possibly launch martial law.
0: Well, yeah, thank you, Jacob. Uh, as you mentioned, it's been a year since the worst attack on our democracy in American history, and the January Six Committee has been making some headway. They've been issuing legal subpoenas. They've been asking members of Trump's inner circle to cooperate. How much the Trump administration wants to hide just shows how involved they were in this insurrection. Um, Most prominent example, Mark Meadows, uh, Trump's former chief of staff, refusing to cooperate with the committee. And as of this recording, the committee has said that they've asked Sean Hannity of Fox News to voluntarily comply. So they haven't issued a legal subpoena, which means he doesn't have a legal requirement to do so as of yet. And honestly, I doubt he will comply. He's one of Trump's closest allies, although text messages from Sean Hannity show that he was very concerned about this and that he kind of acknowledge that Trump was behind this in the first place. Mike Pence's top staff, on the other hand, for his former chief of staff, for example, they have been complying, and they definitely wouldn't have done so if Pence had not told them to. And I know you're going to say, Jacob, you know, Pence did the bare thing. He did his constitutional duty that every single vice president has done before him. But don't forget, you know, the Trump administration had this massive pressure campaign on him with the uh, goal of having him not certify the electoral results. The easiest thing for him to have done is to simply give into it and, you know, not face the backlash that he did with protesters calling for him to be hanged. But rather, I think he held steady that day and obviously he's flip flopped. But I think the fact that his staff are cooperating with the committee goes to show that he still is to an extent standing up to what happened that day, which I know is just the bare minimum and the bare protection of democratic values of our country. And, you know, it just goes to show that Republicans attacking Pence for doing his bare constitutional duty just goes to show how the modern Republican Party has basically left basic democratic values aside.
1: I mean, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. I would say, though, that this, it wasn't just Pence that they were trying to go after. It was secretaries of state that individual states that unlike the federal government, the secretary of state is the person who certifies elections, that runs the elections. And state legislatures who have constitutional and other legal obligations to, to help run elections to certify because we live in uh, what the founders had of federalism, where there's different um, responsibilities of federal and state governments. And, you know, this pseudo-suicide squad with, you know, this badly coordinated, incompetent effort read by Meadows and Giuliani and Bannon and Navarro, and they tried to go after these guys, these secretaries of state, like Brad Raffensperger. And the, the top republicans in those state legislatures like, like arizona and uh, michigan to try to subvert the process there we know that from history that just because a coup like this failed just because they failed doesn't mean that's impossible that they'll succeed the next time
0: that's true and i think the role of the committee is essentially to stop that from happening ever again the truth is i think while well, the committee certainly made headway in trump himself the leader of this entire thing he must be held accountable
1: Right. Liz Cheney was just, I think she just said that there's possible criminal negligence that's being looked at on the part of the former president when he was in the dining room just watching it all unfold.
0: And I think, you know, the point is Trump must be held accountable as soon as legally permissible. We can't just wait for history books to hold him accountable. We have to hold him accountable now. Obviously, you know, the legal system, you know, it tends to move slowly at times. But, you know, we can't obviously rush things. But the, the evidence is just mounting and mounting and mounting. and he does, And he needs legal accountability if we're to show the world and to the rest of the country, really, that we're not going to stand for this type of insurrection, this type of negligence of duty, so to speak. The committee, and, you know, in terms of political reasons for doing anything, just has no bearing on the midterm elections coming up. Even if Trump was hypothetically behind bars by the time a lot of these elections started happening in different states, it'll have no impact on what the House will look like and what the Senate will look like after all these elections. So really, the committee should just be doing this entirely for, you know, the preservation of our democracy.
1: Unfortunately, what's going to happen now is that the polls are that no one really cares about January 6th. Even after the testimony from the four officers, even after everything has come out so far, people don't really care about January 6th. They care about inflation. They care about the virus. They care about, look, the fate of liberal democracy itself, the fate of actual uh, elections, we're not going to have a functioning government. We're not going to have anything. If we have people who try to be, you know, um, the godfather, they try to be this military junta, we're not going to have functional governance to deal with any of these issues which is why Merrick Garland needs to hurry up and start going after the people the committee has said that the Justice Department should step in and enforce subpoenas. And they should keep going with the people, the well-educated middle class that ransacked the Capitol in the first place.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I certainly agree. But, you know, this is the largest FBI investigation in American history. And uh, this is very high stakes. Merrick Garland needs to move fast. While it's obviously upsetting that in terms of polling, you know, a lot of the American population doesn't really think about January 6th. I guess it's kind of understandable because, you know, even for us in our day-to-day lives, inflation and the virus is far more likely to impact our everyday lives rather than, you know, the function of democracy as important as it is. It's definitely an important bigger picture thing. But, you know, when all of us really wake up in the morning, we're more likely to think about how the virus and inflation will impact our personal lives rather than, you know, the bigger picture. So while it's unfortunate, I, I, I kind of understand where it's coming from.
1: I mean, this is why turnout's so important. I mean, this is not just about going to vote on, say, Marjorie Taylor Green and the others who have part of the congressional effort inside Congress to stop the certification. It's about defending secretaries of states, defending you know state legislatures that are being populated with these Trumpists, these coup plotters that have admitted as such, and Steve Bannon's show, that there's a coalition of them decided to protect election integrity. Because when, the, when these people are in charge, the institution is not going to hold. We 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 locked out with Brad Raffensperger. We locked out with the courts. These people do not answer to courts. They don't answer to Constitution. We you know it's turnout, 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 turnout. Beat these people at the ballot box. That means electing Democrats as much as possible, with the exceptions of you know Liz Cheney. You know at some point there's only one party right now that overwhelmingly says, okay, there is something called liberal democracy. There is something called a functioning government that we're actually for. You can disagree with us on policy, and boy, there's a lot of disagreement to be had, but there is something fundamental about actually living in a country where there are people who don't just care about, you know, the glistening glamour of Washington, but actually care about getting trash picked up, the schools run, stuff that normal governance actually needs to get done.
0: But to be completely realistic, I don't, I don't see especially high turnout for the midterm elections. If there was to be a political group that would turn out in midter- in the midterm elections, it would be Republicans. Exactly. Because, and that's the problem. You know, that's, because that's Democrat, you know, Democrats are being blamed for inflation. You know, the pandemic has gotten worse for reasons really outside of the Biden administration's control, but still, you know, blame's going to fall flatly on his shoulders. And in terms of um what you mentioned earlier about holding these politicians accountable, those that were complicit in objecting to the certification of the election results. It is hard to hold them accountable when such an unprecedented thing has occurred in American history, right? So I wouldn't be surprised if it took such a long time to really hold any of them accountable for anything. And just because this has been so unprecedented in American history, that maybe that perhaps nobody really knows what to do.
1: Well, we do have some blueprints. We know that we need to update the Electoral Count Act, you know, fix what was started in 1876, the uh, Tilden Hayes election that. And that was a whole mess that we had a contested election that ended with the end of Reconstruction. There was a whole fix to the Electoral College and the Electoral process that hasn't been updated since, that no one really knows what it means anymore. And with the Electoral Count Act, we can actually stop Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and Chip Roy and everyone else from taking advantage of the, of the vague wording of that, of that law and, you know, protect and protect the actual Electoral College process.
0: Objectifying to electoral votes isn't in and of itself unprecedented because you know politicians in 2000 objected to George Bush winning Florida in you know in the 2000 election because of such a close recount and all that. So it's not by any means unprecedented. It just the reasoning behind it and why it happened and the level at which it happened was 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 completely disastrous. That's so, true. That's true. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what kind of reform could be used here to prevent that from happening again.
1: True, true, true. Members of Congress under the system do have the right to object, that, that is true. We should, you know, if, as long as we have the electoral college system, we should have that. But they did it with such contempt for the rule of law. They did, they did it with such, you know, we're going to throw out Arizona, we're going to throw out, we're going to throw out the votes that were, that were deemed to be fairly conducted by courts, by secretaries of state that weren't, that weren't complete Trumpists. You know, it, there's holes in the law that needs to be fixed. And the total Act is something very important in fixing that. And there's also the Freedom to Vote and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, As we mentioned before many times on this show, voting rights is extremely important. One of the biggest issues going into the midterms. Turnout should also be focused on that specifically, voting rights. And what we're seeing now is that Chuck Schumer, uh, Senate Democratic Majority Leader, is basically saying, we've held our feet in the filibuster. We've had, our, we've, you know, talked about it. We're not going to have supermajority requirement for those bills. We're going to make an exception for these bills, these voting rights bills.
0: So, yeah, but, the, but the, the huge concern I have about that is I'm worried about the president that would set up. I mean, imagine Republicans take back the House and the Senate and they decide to make exceptions to the filibuster for like abortion legislation, for example. And then they use that to ban abortion, like, you know, nationwide.
1: Look, I'm not completely in favor of nuking the filibuster altogether. I do believe that someone like Norm Ornstein. One of one of his main solutions, just switching the numbers of what's required to sustain a filibuster, shrinking the number of senators um, need to break a filibuster. Any of, any of those solutions might work, but the broader point of a supermajority requirement in a government that's already very slow, is designed to be very slow in responding to events, the Senate by is already not supposed to be very proportional to how the country voted. You know, not having that supermajority would be. Helpful would be helpful in actually progressing through legislation. And you know, again, yes, you get what you pay for. You know, don't go crying once, you know, like you said, Republicans might, you know, start banning abortion through legislation or do a number of sort of things that I or whatever might disagree with. That's the consequence. And if we're going to say, okay, we're going to get rid of the supermajority requirement, we own it. We own it. And, you know, McConnell himself, you know, the one, the guy who uh, shrunk the uh, requirement for Supreme Court justices after Harry Reid. basically shrunk it for the rest of federal judges. You know, it's it's a continual game of escalation for this. And both sides, both Republicans and Democrats, have played this game, although Republicans have been much more brazen about it. And that's not just me. That's you know normal scene, that's almost everyone, every political scientist. At some point, the escalation games need to stop and we just say we're gonna have legislative arguments. We're not gonna go through this song and dance routine of bureaucratic and uh, you know legislative um, maneuvering that no one cares about, or at least that shouldn't be the main arbiter of you know elections. That shouldn't be, that Listen, shouldn't well, be you know taking place of how people vote.
0: I mean, if it's an on, if it's ongoing cycle, it's going to be pretty hard to break. I mean, it's been going on for decades and decades, and you're right, it has been getting worse in more recent years. But I highly doubt that either party is going to basically you know work to. You know, remove these uh, the so-called red tape to actually pass more comprehensive legislation more efficiently.
1: I mean, forty-eight Democrats minus Nancy Dunham are on board with this. That's that's the reality.
0: But unfortunately, it's a minority still.
1: Yes, yes, but now Schumer is going to see what he can push. You know, as he's been doing for the past year. But again, we'll see how that turns out. And that concludes this episode of Gen Zers Talk Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zers Talk Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zers Talk Poly with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions.
0: Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time.